You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Wednesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street. My name is JJ Jackson. Inside the studio with me today, I've got Tom Peavy and Ryan Lavoy, and we are so honored to bring you a very special guest into our studio as well. Former Auburn football assistant coach Philip Lawley is going to be hanging out with us for a little while here on today's program. We're going to have our birthdays in sports and nightly TV guide. We've got our hump day update coming up a little bit later in the program as well on this fine Wednesday. So we've got a lot to talk about as we get set for Auburn football's second game of the season coming up on Saturday against San Jose State. It's going to be an absolute blast inside Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday night. If you would like to be a part of the show, say hello to us. You can, 334-887-3401 or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. J.J., Tom, and Ryan, and Auburn football assistant coach Philip Lawley hanging out with us here on the program today. Tom, how are you, man? I, I'm doing great, and uh, yeah, a lot of uh, football going on, but also a lot of baseball going on. The Braves and the Mets are now tied. How about them? They have come back and have awesome tied stuff. things up. So uh, hopefully they can keep that going. And uh, I'm sporting the Montgomery Biscuit shirt today. Um, I'll be dipping out of the show a little early today and uh, heading over to Montgomery to watch the Biscuits against the Trash Pandas and see a little Sonny Deshera. Um, hopefully he's going to be in the lineup tonight for those guys and uh, a chance to watch a little baseball. It'll be fun. But I think it's a lot of football talk this week, especially with the guy that we got sitting over here next to me. No kidding. We've got a very special guest in the house with us here today. Ryan LaVoy, how are you, sir? Uh, I was good until Tom jogged my memory to check the scoreboard uh, and learn that the Braves are not tied anymore, that the Mets won earlier today 5-1. to one. It's like a half game lead, and the Braves are already losing the first inning. To the oh, oh man. So uh, it might have been uh, fun while it lasted, <laughs> but uh, overall, though, uh, fun to see the Braves catch up like that. And uh, good to be talking football again as uh, we count down to the start of the NFL season starting tomorrow. Uh, excited about that Bills-Rams game. A lot of people uh, picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl. And a lot of people uh, excited, though, about what the Rams might be able to do trying to defend their title. And, and then, as you said, counting down to another Auburn football game against San Jose State and trying to figure out more about the uh, quarterback usage and some other things. So excited to be on the show again today and talk about all that. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about here on the program. And again, Philip Lolly is with us here inside our studio. Coach, we appreciate you coming to hang out with us today. 
How are you? I appreciate that. I'm, I'm doing well. Doing well, JJ. We're, uh, we're glad to have you here with us. Talk a little football. Go through your career, some big memories, and, and again, talk about uh, the start of another Auburn football season off and running. We mentioned the NFL gets going tomorrow. There's just something about fall when you know football's in the air and it just makes everybody a little bit happier. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a, a no matter how old, you know, from four, five, six years old all the way to 56, 58, 68, like me, you know, you can't wait for football, especially in this state. Why did you want to be a football coach? You know, a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, coaches uh, when I was growing up that was very special to me. Uh, you know, we had to work growing up back then, so we wanted anything to get out of work, you know. So we wanted to play ball, and uh, that, that was big for us where I'm from. And uh, But a lot of those coaches had a great impact on my life, so. Yeah, we're talking with Philip Lawley here in the studio and just talking about your career. Obviously, you mentioned starting at the high school level. When did you get that first job? Oh, goodness. I was the youngest head coach in the state at that time, I believe. And in Warrior Academy, I took that job. It was 1978, I believe is correct. I was the head coach there. Right. And, uh, you know, so at that point, I mean, took a team that had not won a game the year before. And I felt like I couldn't do any worse. Somebody asked me, said, uh, they called me and said, would you consider taking the head job? We followed your career through high school and into college, and we'd just like to give you that opportunity. And I'm like, well, yeah. And uh, I said, uh, I talked to my dad about it at that time, and he says, well, son, he says, uh, can't do any worse. He said, the no one ten. He said, that might be a good one to start at. And I'm like, you know something? So. Uh, you never That's good really, perspective. Yeah, exactly. And you work harder. I, I found out then, I'm like, man, I got to gain all this knowledge, all these guys I'm coaching against that are great football coaches. And, you know, you know how to do certain things, but you want to learn it all. So I learned more that first year or two. I mean, because you, you're interested in being a, a good head coach, then you're going to study the game. And it just, uh, it was my passion. So and that was Warrior Academy, you Warrior said? Warrior Academy. Where is my that? My first head coaching job, Utah, Alabama. Utah, uh, Alabama. Yeah, I've they? never heard of that in my entire yeah. life, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, Utah, Alabama, where the dog track is. It was between Tuscaloosa and, and uh, Meridian, Mississippi, and uh, right dead in between. And, uh, of course, Bear Bryant Jr., I think, was real big into the dog track there at that time. And so, uh, yeah, I could tell you some stories there, but we uh, yeah. <laughs> and all that. But, yeah. So where does Warrior Academy lead you from there? Warrior Academy led me to Demopolis High School. Okay. And uh, I It's a was pretty there. big jump. Yes, it was, but it was just right up the road. And uh, we had a – doing what we're doing right now, we had a Saturday morning where the coaches came in to a call-in show, and we just got to win in there, and people got to follow us, and we, we just got to playing real well and beating a lot of really good teams. And then the people kind of started following, you know, what we were doing. And, of course, when a job came open at Demopolis, all of them – well, come calling, you know, and uh, and uh, all I know is they, they doubled my salary and I got to eat a little better. <laughs> you know, so. Anything else changed? I mean, was that how big? How worried were you going into that job? Obviously, you're at Warrior Academy, and mm -hmm. you mentioned the team prior hadn't won a single game. Mm -hmm. The bar's very low, mm -hmm. but now you are taking a jump at Demopolis. Yes, well, I looked at it. It was what five A at the time. Um, I, I always knew they had talent. And I'm like, if this scheme works with this group of guys I got, it'll work with anybody, you know. And uh, But so we, we were not real concerned about who we were playing. It's just that we were going to, you know, do our best. So, And we did. How do you get to Stevenson High School? Well, now that's an interesting story. 
Uh, I was hanging out one evening with all my coaching buddies, and I, I get a call from a guy, and uh, and he was stuttering, and he said, I want you to come look at our job. Don't listen to what you hear. Da 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 da. We're very interested in you, and we've got your name from several people, and we called several college coaches, and they gave us your name as a young guy on the rise, and. So anyway, I go up there, and there was just a lot of problems. It was in Stevenson, Alabama. They were the Stevenson Panthers back then and, and had won a state championship, had a good football coach there before in McKinney. So it was a little tradition there, but they'd had some issues. And basically, you know, as, as the word on the street goes, they had run the other coach out. And so everybody's like, you don't want to take that job. Whatever you do, you don't want to take that job. And uh, – I had another coach with me that was, you know, he said, if you take it and you want me to go, I will consider it. I want to go up there with you. And so we stopped back by the superintendent's office, and he just made a statement, and I don't want to get into all that, that basically nobody could come in there and win, that if I had any sense, I better stay away from that one. And, and he was in charge of nine schools in that county. And immediately then I took it. I, I called him back as soon as I left there. I said, I want the job. This guy said I couldn't win here. And I want the job. And you so you wanted the challenge. You just wanted to prove yeah. them wrong. Is that why you think you yes. did that? Yes. And then I was following a legend there that had been real good. And I'm like, man, I need this kind of pressure. I need this on me. I need to to see if I'm really the deal or not. You know. And I took the job. And four or five years later, they decided to combine the two big rivalries, which was Bridgeport and Stevenson. We were only eight miles apart. Okay. And then we formed North Jackson High School. And I was the one that got right. to pick all the different things, the school colors, right. the mask, everything, and uh, full control of, you know. <laughs> they still laugh up there. I was in charge of hiring the principal, okay? So, okay. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah. why wouldn't you take that job? Right, right? exactly. So uh, anyway, uh, it was a really good situation. We were a pretty good power there at that time. And a state championship winning football coach. Yeah, we He's, won it in 93. Yeah. You still remember that night pretty well, that oh, day yeah. pretty well? Oh, yeah, and I had a lot of great teams there, but we seemed to always invite trouble somehow. There's people really gunning for us. I was one of those guys that, you know, you. Uh, I heard a story one time. They said, you know, you, you, some coaches, you know, you gain all their peers' blessings, and then some are hated. I think I was one of those that's hated up there because we were a physical team. And, and you know, I, I did not apologize for being a physical team. and. Uh, that kind of – sometimes people think wrong, but we never were a cheap shot team. I used to tell my guys, if I catch you taking a cheap shot on a guy, that's the most cowardly act. You're out of the game, and I will not put up with it at all. And we disciplined very hard on that stuff. I said, but if face a piece of his body ain't been touched before that whistle, you touch it. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, we were one of those, you know, so coaches tend to look at that a little differently. You know? Right. So. So how do you get to Auburn then? Here you are at North Jackson. You've won a state championship. You've done a lot at the uh, at the high school level. Again, Philip Wally, our guest here on the program today. In 1999, you get a call to come be the strength and conditioning coach at Auburn, right? Correct. How does that happen? Well, I got to know Tommy when he was working for Dennis Erickson at Miami. And <clears throat> I studied the game all the time. I mean, me and my coach, we studied all the time. And back then it was what the eight track tapes, right? So, you know, you have to, you're not supposed to tape anything off the TV, this, that, and other. But every time Miami played, because they were doing a really good job against the triple option teams, which I ran the no huddle triple option wishbone at one time myself. I did things from the no huddle back before you even thought about it, you know, running to the line, 
So they were playing the Oklahomas back then with switching them there, and they would seem to be the only one had any answers defensively, you know, for them and, and the option out of Nebraska when they was running the option IDI. So what they did, they was having a defensive end, uh, and, and everything before that come from the split six looks from Georgia, the split 60s, the, all the different things where you had a seven technique on that tight end, a guy inside shade. Well, if they kept that tight end in block, they had the edge with a great quarterback that could run. Then your butt was in trouble. So there were some things with the split six that was catching problems with these teams now coming. Okay. Well, Miami threw the ball a lot. They threw a lot in practice. Then they was able to go out against the option teams. I'm like, there's something to this. Okay. So I took my old pickup truck, which barely made it, but we, I go down to Miami and I camp out and I'm just, I, I said, I'm going to get to practice somehow. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to watch these dudes yeah. and I'm going to figure out what they're telling these linebackers on the reads and things. And I got to meet Tommy Tuberville. He was down there working. And Tommy, Dennis Erickson and all that bunch. And uh, Tommy says, no, you staying in your truck. I, I, I got to run, just come stay there, you know. He said, all these coaches come in all the time anyway. You just come be our guest. So I wound up going there for the next three or four years in a row, you know. And uh, so at that time, Sonny Lubick was the defensive coordinator, and he went to Colorado State, I believe, Sonny Lubick did. And that's when Tommy took over as the coordinator. So, yeah, I went back there every year after right. that. And I'm just working the linebackers, watching every film, every practice, listening to the coaches talk. So I was the first one to come down here and put the true 4-3 in, you know, so – Anyway, from there, I just expounded, yeah. And that relationship with Tommy Tuberville obviously paid off because then Correct. you get a call in 1999. He's like, I need a strength and conditioning coach. And next thing you know, Philip Lawley is a college football coach. Correct. And, uh, Did you feel like you made it? Yep. I mean, I knew I had a chance. <laughs> I mean, I said, I got a chance. My foot's in the door. And all I think of is, hey, I, I, I can't worry about anything except what I do. Uh, we're going to be the best conditioned you know, best team, hardest hitting. Uh, it's my job to get them to that point because we had a tremendous weight program where I was at in high school. I mean, it was tremendous, and he had seen all that. Sure. He came down and visited us many times. He's like, wow, you know, I mean. So, uh, anyway, and he saw our discipline and stuff like that. So, he called and he said, Phil says, oh, we got a situation at Auburn. And he said, uh, we're a little bit too soft. He said, we're playing soft, and he said, I want it back. I want the physicality back. And then he hired a guy from UCLA named Kevin Yarksel. Yep. Yeah. And Kevin come in, me and Kevin both, we, we, we hit it off from the get-go, and we said, hey, look, we're fixing a Coach, we'll have them ready, you know. So, so there's some stories about the one of the first meetings there in 99. Uh, it was written about in a book uh, that the first time that there were guys running gassers, that there were people – puking people quitting that basically you and yox just yep. ran these guys and forced the forced the week to quit we we challenged we challenged yeah. them we went in and uh, you know we just said hey look and, and i'll be honest uh with what we did that first time i used to do that just to warm up okay right. <laughs> well these guys were not in the good best shape in the world but uh Anyway, we, we come in and we said, all right, we're going to run this many gassers. And like I said, I just got through doing it before they got in there. So, you know, and, and I knew my high school team, we'd run that many all the time. Right. But I, I reckon, I don't know, just the new coaches, folks sitting around, whatever. But, yeah, we had a good many quit that day. Uh, we got some – I got some stories I can't tell on the air. But, <laughs> uh, you know, their uh, names were supposed to be on the helmets and we couldn't tell who two or three of them was. And, 
and I know I asked this one guy what his name was, and basically he said, blank you, and I didn't know, you know, he was on the way out the door. <laughs> throw it up, and I looked over, with the guy keeping the thing, I said, put blank you quit. I, I don't know what his name is. It come off his helmet. But anyway, there was a bunch uh, uh, decided that football wasn't for them at the time. But, you know, we knew in the SEC, and, of course, that year we had to struggle and we fought, we fought. Yeah. But the very next year we was in the SEC championship game, right? Yep. With Florida. So, I mean, all of it paid off. But uh, no different than Coach Dye, which was a hero of mine and always was and has been, uh, you know, and uh, I just loved talking ball with him. And I watched his team's practice. I watched Miami practice, and I knew we had to get back to – you know, physically being able to play in this conference. Would you have said you were an Auburn fan before you ever got the job? Like, before you had that opportunity, did you – was Auburn the team that you wanted yes. to win? Yes. Yeah. I grew up, believe it or not, don't everybody get after me. I grew up from where I was at in Choctaw County being an Alabama fan. That was the first time I'd ever seen a football game. Right. Uh, somebody had an extra ticket. And I remember sitting in the bleachers crying, thinking, I want to do that. I, yeah. mean, I was just overwhelmed by the game. And but when Coach Dye came to Auburn, that's when I was at Demopolis and I had two or three pretty good football players. And him and Joe Witt and somebody else came by at Demopolis High School that day. And from that point on, he said, I want you to come up and visit us. Yeah. And he was country as could be and just straightforward. <laughs> and I'm like, I like this guy. You know, and he says, Will you come up and be our guest and let us show? I said, Absolutely, yes, sir. I'm thinking, I've been everywhere else. I I, I want to go. Yeah. Know? And he treated me so good, you know, and he was straight to the point. He looked you in the eye. There wasn't no gimmicks. He looked straight in your eye, you know. He said, Coach, we're going to be pretty dag-burn good. I won't never forget. He said, we ain't right now. He said, but we're fixing to be. He said, I got a good group I'm working with now. They're fighters. And he said, they're going to carry this on. And there's just something about him. Yeah. And from that moment forward, you're like, I'm an Auburn Tiger. I was Auburn. I never missed another clinic. Never. Right. <laughs> I was in all the practices I could be at, and I was fully Auburn. War Eagle. That's what we like to hear. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's take our first commercial break of the show. We'll be back with more. Let's talk more Auburn football. Philip Lolly is hanging out with us in studio today. We want to hear from you. 334-887-3401. Give us a call to say hello. We're back with more Sports Call right after this on Tiger 95.9 FM. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back into Sports Call, WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM. My name is JJ Jackson with Tom Peavy and Ryan Lavoie. And then we've got Philip Lolly with us. Coach Lolly, the former Auburn football assistant coach, hanging out with us here today on the program. And it's just great to have football season back and to be able to go back down memory lane and set you up for Auburn and San Jose State this upcoming weekend. Uh, we were talking about your first couple of years there at Auburn. Uh, 1999, the first season. You mentioned in 2000, the very next year, mm -hmm. getting to play for the uh, SEC championship. Yeah, correct. And then leading up to the 2004 squad 
uh, that went unbeaten. You had a lot of good football players come through that Auburn program over that four or five year stretch. Absolutely, and people always ask me to compare them teams. You know, a lot of times, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, now that's everybody's favorite question. No, yeah, nobody's bad side here, but we were good. I mean, that year that we didn't get a chance to play for it, we were a great football team. I think we had the number one defense, not just in the conference, maybe the country. You know, yeah, and. Uh, then you're sitting there with that quarterback with a guy that gets in the first round. You're sitting there with two running backs that go in the first round. Carlos Rogers played for me, went in the first round. So that was a special year for sure. But we had a lot of special years at Auburn. So. Right now, Al Borges is writing a book mm-hmm. about that 2004 mm-hmm. season. And it just feels like they're just – now we're nearly 20 years away from when that took place. And all these stories are coming back to light for people on what a great year that was for Auburn football. It was, and you know, and it's just, I, I still get sick about it. I'm, I'm just such a competitor. Neither one of those teams, and I'll say it, I don't care if they all get mad, could not have played with us. Not that year, not that year. And uh, we were pretty special. We were a special unit, you know, and uh, anyway, it was a special year. Yeah. Uh, but but the, uh, the foundation for that 04 team was set. Really, in 2000, uh, after that 99 season, you, you move into a, an actual from strength and conditioning. You go to line, coaching linebackers and defensive backs. Mm-hmm. 2000, you know, Tuberville's second year, they make the SEC championship game, and that's mm-hmm. why I say it's kind of set the foundation for there. Uh, the one thing, there's one particular play I wanted to bring up in 2000 since you were coaching defensive backs. Rashad Gilliard in the opener against Wyoming hits a hits – a dude knocks his helmet off. I remember. One of the hardest hits I've ever seen in person. What, what do you say to one of your guys when he comes off the field after a, a shot like that? Great job. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, they. Uh, I still think that we, uh, and I can go into a lot of great hits that we had because we had some guys back there. Today, they wouldn't know what to think. Right. Today, they absolutely wouldn't know what to think. Uh, but that was a great hit. As you said, the helmet just popped straight off. I'll never forget it. And then you go all the way to Junior Rosegreen's hit. Yeah. You know, and I still think that that was what set the standard for all the people with the helmet to helmet contact. I call it the Junior Rosegreen rule. Yeah. Because I never forget sitting in the SEC meetings after that, and they were just like raising sand about it, you know, and uh, uh, Georgia was the one raising the most sand about it. Of course, the trainers, and they, they're trying to, you know, protect their guys. Sure. I understand what they're trying to do. But they asked me, they said, how are you going to handle next year? I said, that's the reason they got the officials to call the game. I'm going to coach my guys to play and tackle and hit. I'm going to let them call the game. You know, and it's changed a lot. (laughs) There's no denying that. I mean, looking at it over the years and all the rules that keep coming in and and safety, obviously – the utmost concern for everybody, but well, some of those hits were crazy to watch. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but the the thing is, and, we, and now we're kind of going off off the tracks here. But see, that's the one thing that I have had such an issue with with the targeting. I understand targeting needs to be in there, but for the safety aspect of things. But man, I I hate to see a kid get kicked out of a game for making a play. Um, I mean, sometimes there's head to head contact. It's a contact sport. There's sometimes there's things that are just unavoidable. Uh, a guy running the ball lowers his head, and you're you're already low trying to make a tackle, and you make contact. Well, next and now you're out of the game. Correct. And I I just feel like that they NCAA's got to do something to fix that. Now, yeah. The LSU game that we shared just the other day. Now that's targeting the the guy launched and Correct. hit crown of his helmet. Correct. Never even tried to use his arms. That's yes, I, you get kicked out of the game for that. Correct. But 
you know, some of these, like I've like you see all, all the time, the guy's just making a play. He's trying to make a tackle. The next thing you know, he's out of the game. And, Tom, that was a quarterback that's sitting back there. They always say defenseless. Okay, then they tell you, you can't hit him low. You can't hit him high. And then all of a sudden, he ducks into you. You're hitting him in the strike zone, what I call right. a strike zone when I coach. You're hitting him in the strike zone, and then he lowers into you. They said it's your job to judge and get out of the way. Now, how am I going to do yeah, that? When you're going Without me speed. lowering my head, putting my safety at risk, right. by lowering your head, looking at the ground, trying to get lower than that, when he lowers his head, you can be fatally injured. Now, you can be. Sure. Okay? And, 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 you know, so they don't uh, think about the defensive guy when they turn and turn on him with their head down to run over him, you know. Yeah. And so the thing that I – what you're just talking about, I think can clean up a lot is when I was coaching CFL, the same thing. So we used to sit in the room, these guys, and we'd say, all right, what can we do in, in this situation? This situation? If the ball is inside the tackles, if the ball is inside the tackles and it's less than two to three yards to go, I don't care if you just say between the tackles, period, but you have a chance to hit that running back straight up. Your job is to stop him from getting the first down. Now, that's different to me. Right. I mean, how in the world are you going to – you know, hit low and not hit high and let the guy just automatically get a first down and win a championship on you. Or down on the goal line, it's third and one yard to go. I mean, you got to allow them guys to play football in the right. trenches now. Okay. And I can see it out on the perimeter. I can even see with the receivers, you know, some of that. But inside, I think you can correct a lot by doing that. Yeah, player safety is always going to be the sure. the biggest concern, and Correct. again, you're always having to adapt to these targeting rules. And, and I think that these college kids are held to a higher standard than the NFL guys because the NFL guys don't get kicked out right. when they make a helmet helmet. Mm -hmm. It's still a penalty, but um, you know they sometimes it can be a personal foul, and the two of them, and you're out. Mm -hmm. uh, but in college, you don't get to make that mistake. And I think there's still a clear enough way because, as Tom said, referring to that LSU hit. Um, on that Sunday night game, I still think that there is a way to pretty clearly find intention there. Mm -hmm. um, and the LSU guy, after he makes that um, makes that play, was it Allie Gay who made yeah, that play? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, th that he didn't even – he was just like, oh, yeah, I made a great hit. He wasn't – there's some guys that get distraught. You know, you can look over on the mm -hmm. sideline and you can kind of – like they're starting to plead like, no, I didn't mean – you know, that sort of thing. But he was just like, meh. So I think that what I've long wanted out of this rule is that you have a, you know, it's, it's treated as a unsportsmanlike to right. where you get two of them and you're out. Because if, you, if, if there's a repetitive thing here, then obviously you're not trying to do anything different, right. you know. Because um, if you get two of them in one game, that's a small amount of time. And, um, you know, you could even couple it with, okay, if that guy gets an unsportsmanlike in another way, a separate occasion because he's throwing people off the pile or, or doing something else, then it's like, all right, we have, again, we have a behavior that might be consistent with intent uh, to injure or intent to mix it up a little bit. I, can, I, can, I would be good with that. But, again, expecting someone to be – do it the quote right way every single time when they're not professionals, right. when they're held to a standard that's different from the guys that are supposed to know how to do it even better than they are. That's I think what makes it the most frustrating from my vantage point is just, you can't expect these college kids to do it sure. better and more accurately than the professional guys. Well, and, and that's the other thing I wish they would kind of 
figure out a better way to go about what is targeting and what isn't. And, and you know, right. Coach, you being a defensive guy, I look back to last year's Penn State game. The guy from Penn State is is low to the ground, diving for the goal line, and the Auburn player comes in and makes a play to, to stop it to yeah. stop him from diving to the goal right. line, and he gets called for targeting. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy's already low to the ground. Correct. You have to get low to make that tackle. He is not defenseless. He is actively diving for the goal line to score. What are you? Are you just going to let him score? That's right. You have to make a hit, and and now he's out of the game. And so, I mean, it just feels like it handcuffs, especially as a defensive coach, you know, and all of a sudden one of your best guys is out of the game and he didn't do anything wrong. And you tried, made, a, made a hell yeah, of a play. Yeah. And you try and coaching against all that stuff, Tom. I mean, you're talking about, like you said, trouble. You go out there and these guys, especially in professional football, I learned, I mean, they come to work with their briefcase. They, they, they know what they're doing. I loved coaching those guys because they want instruction. They want, you know, to, to hold their career. But we sat and talked about it all the time. How do I teach? I said, guys, can I teach it any better? Talk to me. All right, let's look at what everybody's doing because we're going to be a good football team. You tell me how to coach you. What would you say if, if you were coaching you? Right. I, and so I go to my guy, what would you do? Well, coach, I mean, you know, it's impossible for us to make the play. With it. And th- they get discouraged, you know. And I'm like, you're right. The ball's inside here and they're fixing the score. Guys, all I can tell you, you know, people say, well, you put your hat here, put your hat here. And I said, if you ever chased a really great athlete, you go put your hat where you think you want to put it. Are you kidding me? You're right. doing good just to put your hands on him, just to tackle him, <laughs> period. You know, but all your hat's got to go here. It's got to go there. And you're running full speed. He's running full speed. That's tough now. Yeah. That's well, tough. Because would you not agree, it's – already harder to play defense inherently just because these kids are all athletic and they all can make plays and Mm -hmm. the offenses are so dynamic and they wear you out by going up tempo and uh, they already have so many rules kind of designed to kind of help out the offenses that Mm -hmm. um, you really are just I mean and oh by the way you do less tackling in practice now Mm -hmm. because it's something coach Harson was talking about in a a Monday press conference that uh, you know he felt that the guys missed some sack opportunities but he said well, we don't let them hit the quarterback in practice. And and no one does that. It's not just an Auburn thing. No one's going to let the starting quarterback get mm-hmm. hit in practice. And so um, that's something else that is more difficult is you do even less tackling. And so you're, you're wanting players to have a more refined concept of tackling in a strike zone, but yet coaches, because of injury concerns and because of just the way it's moved, you do less of it. So you have mm-hmm. less of a, a, a practice in doing it correctly. Correct. That's and that's what I'm talking about. Getting drills to learn to tackle. Oh man, we invent ways. I mean, <laughs> we, we we have people running with the big dummies, and then when you get there, boom, you know, because you can go sit and hit that dummy all day long, but that dummy's not moving. Yeah, you, you know, like like Coach Harson said. I mean, that, them guys are moving. They're spinning out. Well, how do you how do you t- do that in practice? I mean, really, you know. So it, it is tough. Uh, we got three or four tackles we use and. Of course, we try to teach things repetitive all the time, run through the guy, don't try to shoot your hat like they used to say across the bow. I'm against that because then when he cuts back on you, you're done again. So just little things. We just say, hey, look, hit the strike zone every time. I don't care if he's sideways, if the quarterback's sitting in the pocket. I don't care. We just hit him in the strike zone. You know, in other words, stay off the head, stay out from below the knees, you know, the strike zone. So we, we tape them dummies. We do everything in the world to teach them that. But then again – here comes the game, and we had you got to make that play, and yeah. you're put in a difficult position. For that reason, 
and talking about, okay, we can't practice tackling because player safety and you want your quarterbacks to be okay. And, and then on the fly, you're having to figure this out as a defense because mm-hmm. we didn't get the opportunity to do this. I'm curious, from your perspective and in your career, random person wants to start coaching football. Mm-hmm. Is it harder to coach offense or defense if they're walking? Never done it before. Mm-hmm. You're trying to teach somebody to be a coach. More difficult to coach defense or offense. Well, I'm a defensive guy. I, you know, I'm like everybody else around here in high school, in different place. I've had to play both ways, you know. Right. I was a quarterback myself. So right. I, I get it, you know. And then, but defense is – to me, a lot harder to coach. And I think we was talking earlier today, uh, especially in Canada because of all the motions. You know, I was at the (laughs) CFL. And if I had a young son that wanted to get into coaching, I'd find some way to get him in the Canadian League for the first year or two, okay? Because you have to learn all the different motions they have. You have to get them attacking you at the line of scrimmage sideways. The field is 65 yards wide. I mean – you got to bottle all that speed up. You got to see all that motion. Can you imagine how many pick routes you get up there sure. compared to one guy in motion here? Talk about pick routes. Well, if you had a son and he went up there for a couple of years, two to three years, I mean, he come back down here. I mean, the game is going to slow down for yeah. him. Unbelievable, you know. Because you've said sometimes watching American football now is boring. It's boring to me. <laughs> one guy, I mean, how many ways you want me to guard this guy, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that ain't no problem there. You know, get five or six coming at you, that's a problem. But anyway. So where do the challenges come from coaching offense then? Well, offense, you know, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how they remember uh, some of the calls. I mean, some of them is so long, it's like 10 and 12 words, you know? Uh, especially in the pro level, I, I looked at their playbooks and listened to them make calls. I don't see how in the world, you know, with all those checks, but then again, insert like an animal, a food uh, item, a number, uh, some colors, <laughs> yeah. and my, my, a city. Mine's like, mine like stack, stack two, cover two. You know, four checks. You know, now we have some long. That's way too, easier. But, oh yeah, oh yeah. But I mean, we we have a lot of mental stuff too. Don't yeah. don't get me wrong, and we have a lot of checks because you might can run one coverage with what I call a two-by-two. That's two receivers or two skilled people on one side, two on the other, one guy in the backfield. So you're sitting there going, this is 22 pistol, 22 gun week, 22. And we'll have a call for that. So, all right, let's say we're running a cover four scheme. Well, we can automatically call cover four, give two or three calls, we can be in it. But one of those guys go in motion. I'm just using the American way with one guy in motion, not the Canadian way. Because it gets real complicated. But one guy goes in motion, now it's 31. It's not 22. You got three to that one side. Well, now how are you going to cover the three verts over there if you only got two DBs to that side? If you got a safety and corner, so you got to get somebody over there, or you got to have a check. Well, when you get somebody over there, you've alerted the offense. Uh oh, they know what you're in now. They know if you're man to man or zone. Okay, so now I have to go back and say I'm not going to let them know I'm man to man or zone. Now I've got a disguise. Okay, because I'm not going to give that quarterback a pre-snap read and he knows where he's going with the football right now. I'm going to make him figure it out on the fly. Sure. Okay, and then I'm going to send pressure at him, and I'm going to make him speed up a little bit more in his thinking process, right? So it gets to be a game of that, and it gets to be a very mental game. And, and I know the offenses is tough with the, but far as just have, we having to counter everything on defense, they know what they're going to do. Well, we're having to counter that right now before the snap of that ball. So I just myself think it's a lot tougher to coach on the defensive side, and that's me. You know, I'm not saying I, I got an opinion like him. Yeah. But, but we're having to counter what they already know they're going to do. Okay. 
So, the, that, I mean, that's the simplest explanation mm-hmm. for it. The mm-hmm. offense knows what they want to do. Mm-hmm. The defense has to stop mm-hmm. what this offense knows what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why, again, for no, people that aren't coaches, mm-hmm. I almost wish that you had the mm-hmm. ability when watching the game mm-hmm. to know all the communication that's taking on taking place yeah. inside the game to truly when you're watching it on TV you don't know all the communication that's taking place you don't know the thought process of all these coaches you don't re- truly understand how difficult this is to make oh, the yeah. stops out there on the field oh yeah then they'll get you into a personnel situation uh they can run a 31, like I just said, three on one side, one on the other, one back, but it could be a tight end over there. Well, where do they have that tight end aligned? Who's he responsible for blocking? Then you get a mismatch. That big old tight end's 270 move. Now you get him on one of your 185s. It's a great cover guy. Well, I, now I got to adapt and, and, and get a bigger guy. I got to get a safety on that guy. So now in the game, I'm having to say, hey, look, when we make this call, you go take the safety's place, you know the rules, because they have to know everything. <laughs> and then you have to switch with him where we can make a tackle on this guy. I mean, it's a personnel thing now. So you get all those things in a game that you worry about, you're trying to counter what they do. So it, it gets interesting, yeah. Well, well and then, but then on top of that, then you have an, in, a, in a good offense, and especially with a good quarterback, you'll have a quarterback that can come up pre-snap, look what you're set up in. Correct. And then they'll change. And so now now you're having to – not only have you adapted to what they're doing, but now you've got to try to readapt because on pre-snap, they've come up and changed something right, you, right at you at the last Correct. second. It's like you get you got to know what beats the defense that you just called because then you're going to assume that that's the audible they're going to go to. So you, yeah. then you need to know what, what would previously <laughs> beat your Correct. defense, but, yeah. but what beat this, this new one. And Correct. Now, I've been forced to back off when I coach defense backs. I – here, I mean, we had we were fortunate. I had some really great ones, right? I, I mean, we were fortunate, and they went on NFL. And I used to tell them, I said, if you don't go to NFL here, I did a terrible job of evaluating you, okay? Or are you just not given what it takes to get there? I, I mean, one of the two. I mean, one of the two. So, so, you know, we always wanted our guys challenge them. If you want your you want your picture in my room on the wall here? Look at all these guys play here. Look where they're playing now. If I if I get you here. That's what I expect. I, I, really, guys, I, I, and I know a lot of folks, you say, well, you don't care about their education. I love their education. I want them to get one, you know. But, but at the same time, when you got a chance to make millions and millions of dollars your junior year, if you say you're going to get drafted in the first round, I'm going to tell you what my, my answer was. You know, <laughs> yep. you come back, we're going to give you education later. But you, you know, <laughs> Go get the money. Yeah, where are you going to make that kind of money with a degree, son, your first year or two, you know. So I was always one of those guys that said, hey, look, if you hear your fourth year, it's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah, you shouldn't be. You know, so. But it's a good standard to yeah, have. Yeah, uh, coach, we've gone through some of the time here. So you come here in '99, uh, but you're still here on staff in 2013. When we talked, we mentioned boring football. If there was anything that was not boring, was that 2013 season. And just one story out of that 2013 season, obviously the kick six. How in the world did you end up in the end zone with Chris Davis? Well, there's probably some things there that. I can't talk about it. <laughs> but I, I recruited Chris, you know. Tommy Thigpen was responsible for that area. Right. All right, so Chris out of high school, I, I got a friend and uh, that's got a friend that's got a friend. But anyway, the word got to me about this kid called Chris Davis. And this guy was an official, and he was officiating the game, and he went to another guy that y'all familiar with, Jeff Holland, which was Jake Holland's sure. dad. 
So Jeff called me. I coached Jeff in high school at Demopolis, okay? So anyway, Jeff called me. That's Jake's dad. He says, I'm hearing a lot about this kid over there. And I said, I'll check him out. And I said, I'll do that. And uh, Tommy Thinkpen had that area. So I go to Tommy and I said, Tommy. He said, yeah. I said, uh, Jeff called me after he called you and said, I'm going to try to get a tape from one of the coaches. He said, it's going to be hard to get a tape from there. Da-da-da-da-da. But we run two or three tapes down. And I watched it a little bit. And I sat there and I'm thinking, man, this guy, if they score, he's got to score. Uh, I mean, whether it's return a kick, or, you know, a punt, kickoff, whatever. He's going to do something. He's a pretty exciting guy. And I got to looking at the size and everything. And I said, Tommy, I like this guy. He said, well, let's convince Coach of him. So we go down there and I said, I like this guy. I think that we can make a play out of this guy. I see some really good things. And so anyway, through the process, you know, of getting him here, all the different things, recruiting him, I already knew he could return punts, kickoffs. If one reason I liked him a lot, you know. I said, the guy can do those things. He's exciting. He's, he's very versatile. You know, same way when I recruited the Courtney Taylors and, you know, those yeah. type guys. They're versatile, you know. could play either side. Yeah. I was hoping to Courtney, I'm going to change story. I was hoping he didn't play offense because I talked to, you know, Greg Knox into yeah. it. He was in Carrollton, in my area. I said, I hope he don't because I'm going to put him over there opposite Carlos Rogers. We're going to have a couple of six, two corners and yeah. get after these big receivers. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he made it same way with Chris. Chris, so – Chris and me became close. I coached him, you know, and I'm close to all my guys. I coached him hard on them. Right. But we respected each other. And uh, to be honest, uh, Chuck Galena was on the field, and Chris was kind of screaming, you, you know what all happened there. And, I mean, people coming out of the bleachers. He says, Coach, come quick, come quick. I said, Chris, I need you to come quick. So, immediately, I sprint down there, and I get him. And it was it was heck for a little while. <laughs> it was, uh, the place was crazy, and everybody coming up. But I just remember, and y'all probably saw some of the pictures. He was just out of it, and and I'm just sitting there hugging his neck, and you right. know, um, and he just, and and I knew what impact the play was going to have, and uh, basically I told Chris we're sitting there, and I said, think about what you say, because he was just because really he had the ESPN. My ESPN yeah. was already yeah. right, or yeah, I guess CBS. Yeah, it it would have been CBS, but they were already yeah. right in his. Yeah, and I just said for the next 200 years, son, they're going to talk about this play. I said, uh, just think about the moment. Right. I said, think before you speak. And he, I thought he did a great job sure. of handling everything, you know. So now, when so tell it, us about uh, the play. I want to yeah, hear about I, I the communicate because this is a big deal. Like you're saying, this is a great returner. What's one from of the your big, perspective? Uh, how in the world do we send him out to field this field goal attempt from Alabama? Well, there's a lot of <laughs> things I can't really, you sure. know, nobody, but. Uh, I didn't have the earphones on or anything because of my position on the coaching staff that year. Right. I was doing more of the pro lays and right. everything. Right. So, anyway, but I'm down there. And, uh, you know, people's debating whether they're going to maybe throw the ball on a fake and hope for a pass interference call or whatever. But, I mean, I look out there and there's two kickers in the game. I mean, you know, they, the one kicker is going to hold like they did in practice with a guy that's going to kick deep. It's obvious they're going for it, right? So. Anyway, without having to change, they just put Chris back deep because he was already in there anyway at defensive back. And, of course, the rest is history. And they come up the sidelines and uh, set the wall on the sidelines, you know. What's going through your head as, as that pandemonium is breaking out? Chris is running. Chris turns and he gets past the last guy and – the only person that could tackle him is an Auburn guy. Exactly. I was worried about Therese. Therese's going to trip him up. <laughs> I, 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 got three, I said, Therese, don't you trip him. Please get out of the way. That's all I was thinking when I saw him. I said, oh, he's gone. Just don't trip him. I yeah. mean, you know. And uh, 
But, yeah, I mean, and I see this all the time in the Canadian League. We get it all the time because if they miss up there, the, the goal post is on the goal line, and they got 20-something yards behind the goal post. Right. Some guys feel that thing, and here they come. And we used to tell our guys this is the easiest way to score because you got all the fat guys playing. Right. Okay, between Tiger, they're, they're there to protect that one, kicker to kick the ball. Right. Well, they're not there to tackle you. But now stop and think about Alabama when they did this, and I've thought about it a lot of times. Who was going to tackle Chris Davis? Okay, they had all these big guys, and they had two kickers in the game. All right? <laughs> they're not used to tackling in practice. You know, they're not used to being on every snap. Now, they had a lot better chance the quarterback would have been holding. He normally did, right, except on the long-distance thing. So, I mean, you, know, you got athletes coming. And yeah. Big guys Poor decision made. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's what you deal what? with. Yeah. Whether you kick it or not, you know, everybody's sitting there, oh, I'd kick it. Oh, I don't know. Hold on. The only way we can lose this game is if we kick that thing and get it blocked and somebody scoops it up. Right. So, who says we got to kick it? Well, this puts you nine points ahead instead of six. What if you get it blocked and they pick it up and run it down and kick the extra point? So there's a lot of decisions to be made there, right? Yeah. Anyway. It's just fun to think about all the different scenarios that, that could have played out in that situation and um, what a play it was. Oh, I mean, God. still all these years later, yeah. it's in the hype video this past Saturday to open up this. I mean, and like you told Chris in that moment, like people are going to be watching this mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, and I'm just proud of Chris. I'm, I'm proud, of, proud of the way he handled it. From where he came as a high school player to finish the way he did, you know, uh, it was awesome. I, you know, I, I, I think it's the greatest play that I've ever seen um, at any time. I used to think when uh, the guy from Alabama run the guy down from Miami and took the ball oh, away, yeah. I'm like, wow. George you Teague. Know. Uh, you know, I can think of a lot of plays that I've seen in my life, and I go, wow. But this one, at the moment, with one second left, and it's Alabama, and you know to send you to Bowl. an SEC championship yeah. and the Iron Bowl, one just everything two. on the line, and yeah, yeah, yeah and, and I think we'll never get credit for it. But the year we won it all, I, I told somebody I said if 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 the roles would have been reversed, and it had been Alabama instead of Auburn, and they come from behind twenty four points and beat the national champions from the year before on their home field. It'd go down right now already as the greatest game ever, yeah. greatest comeback ever. And I believe one day we might get credit for that. I still think it's the greatest comeback ever in, uh, in football. I, I don't see anybody else uh, yeah. with the defense they had and them being the national championship before and the hatred between the two teams. To come back from 24 to nothing, that's pretty tough. You know? No kidding. I can't think of anything that would top that, particularly at the college level. You know, in a lot of comebacks, you think yeah. twenty-eight to three in the Super Bowl that the the Patriots were able to come back and knock off the Falcons all those years ago. But yeah, that twenty ten Iron Bowl was something special. All right, we've reached the end of the first hour. We got Coach Lolly here with us. He's going to stick around for just a little bit more time with us here on the program. And if you want to say hello, feel free to do so. Three three four eight eight seven thirty four zero one. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. 
We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call getting started right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and former Auburn assistant coach Philip Lawley hanging out with us on today's program. And Tom Peavy, man, this has been a lot of fun spending some time with Coach Lolly. Oh, man. Wait, I mean, reminiscing on some uh, old Auburn stuff and uh, just kind of the career, Coach Lolly's career. And, uh, you know, I've had a chance to meet Coach. We had Danny Skutak on the show and, right. uh, uh, back several weeks ago. And uh, Danny and Coach Lolly are good friends. And so, you know, able to uh, work with Danny and, and get Coach Lolly on here with us. And so, uh, it's, yeah, it's been a, been a pleasure to have him on here talking some old – Auburn football and just kind of reminiscing and just talking ball in general. And ball, that, that's been and the man, fun it, part of this. And, and I wish there, the listeners could be a fly on the wall and just to hear all the off-air stuff that we're just <laughs> talking about. I mean, it, man, it's it's been an incredible time. No doubt. It's been a lot of fun. And if you would like to call in and say hello, you can do that. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger 9 This is a random thought I had a little bit earlier in our discussions Coach, when we were talking about the intricacies of offense, defense, checks being made, uh, quarterbacks being so good at what they do, and this is an age-old football debate, but this is a talk show. We debate. This is what we do, so I'm going to bring you into this conversation. Who's more important, player, coach, when you take a look at the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick dynamic? Oh, Lord. Because that's always so fascinating <laughs> yeah. to me, and I want to hear your perspective Absolutely. on this. Well, the coach has got to be. You know, I, I, Really? Okay. In, in every situation to me – I mean, you know, the players, yes, they make a lot more money, this, that, and other. And and, and uh, Tom Brady is the greatest I've ever seen what he does, <laughs> you know. But still, I mean, the coach has got to be the one, you know, when he makes decisions to be in control to me. And the, the importance comes down to the coach most of the time unless you got – I mean, nine out of ten to me is, is the coach has got to be the most important thing. Now, that's a whole different situation there, you know. But I'm gonna have to take the side of the coach. Sure, going Belichick on this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's it, it's <laughs> just it's an interesting conversation Correct. to have. I like it to hear is. the perspective and that sort of thing yeah. because I think so much of what Brady's greatness goes unseen. It's not like it's not Correct. the the crazy awesome athletic plays you see from mm-hmm. time to time. He's 45 years old. Correct. The NFL season starts tomorrow, and he's still going to be a quarterback of a team. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, he is a true professional. Yeah. That's the reason I said that's a whole different situation. Yeah. You know, that's different than all the others. But to me, you know, a coach that don't have control of his team and an owner or whatever is interfering. I mean, you, you, you can see it. You can see the ones that's happening to We all right. can see it. 
the coach has got to have the control or he loses the respect of the players. When the owners get too close to the players, to me, and, you know, then the coach, he, he, it's just a dead man walking to me, no. you know. And, and so the coach has got to be in charge. How do you balance, uh, as a coach, giving freedom to your players to make those reads at the line of scrimmage, make checks, make audibles? Because it's something we've mm-hmm. talked about in the past, and it's Correct. more so on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like. But it, it's very much with your middle linebacker, whoever the captain of the defense Correct. is as well. How, how do you what, – what, what kind of makes you confident when you can – Turn over some of the reins to a guy on the well, floor. Well, experience, like that. as we know for sure, like like Brady's got plenty of that. You know, some of those young guys are good now, and they're coached well in college. This that another, and I think when they draft them, they look at a lot of that. Of course, you know, they come in. Who can pick this up? Who can? It's not all about just pure throwing skills or whatever. It's those things. It's leadership things. Well, can he get people to follow him? How much do we give him to check? The biggest mistake that I've seen as a defense coordinator, in my opinion. Because we have to make all those checks and everything, too. And I, I tell my guys on defense side, our, for example, let's just use Florida when we played them here when they was very good that year and we beat them their first loss with Coach Spurrier's in here. The thing that I told my guys is, look, we're not playing against Coach Spurrier. He's not going to take a snap tomorrow. He's not. Now, how well he coached his quarterback, we're going to find out. Okay? We're, 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 we're out there to beat the quarterback, not beat Spurrier. We're to beat the quarterback. We got to beat his mind, whatever that is. Okay. So if we do this, we're gonna get in this look, and they're gonna think it's cover three. And we roll in it to a cover two. We're gonna get in this look, boom, 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 and we're gonna roll here. And, and now our job is to mentally mess with the quarterback, because their coach can be the greatest in the world, but he's not out there during this time when that ball's going to be snapped. So that was always something that we we talked about. Now. If that quarterback sees certain pre-snap reads, which I was always huge in the secondary, trying not to show them. You know, like I said, show them one thing, go to another. You know, constantly making them think. Okay. All right. First thing they want to look for a lot of time, they look down at special authority, is there two high safeties or is there one? And some people, you notice on TV, you, you watch TV now, and them defensive coaches will allow that safety to start creeping down before the snap. Well, you know right now what it is. You know who you got to block on the run. I mean, they, they show it too early. You know, now bringing him down to snap causes some issues, you know, because he's having to try to take the snap most times in the shotgun now. And I said, he's got to concentrate on time. That ball snap from the center, he's got to watch it with his eyes, pick up that football, then turn and try to pick you back up. So what you can do during that amount of time to destroy him mentally is what we're trying to do. So, it, But it gets complicated. Now, on defense, you've got to allow your guys to check. Now, here, here's my deal. I would like to do, let's say, eight or nine checks. He's not capable of eight or nine at a time. We'll only do three. You know, I'm going to give them something where they can feel good and play fast. So there's a lot goes into it, Ryan. Because you know? then, because I could, let me follow up with this. A lot of times you hear people analyzing the game talk about, uh, they'll, they'll talk to defensive coaches like, I'll give you, I'll give you Gene Chizik right now. We just went back to North Carolina and he's talking about making it simpler for his defense because he's got a bunch of talented guys that maybe are thinking too much. Is is that something that, that happens uh, where maybe they're overthinking or maybe you a simplification of what you're trying to do is, is better in that moment? Absolutely. And you got to look at all 11 players. In the CFL, it was 12, you know, but all 11 players, you got to get your winners out there. The best chance you got to win, get the chemistry right. Then you say, how much can I put in with this bunch? and us play full speed. The whole key to me 
is getting your guys to play full speed, you know. And certain coaches are good at that. Coach Dye was great at that. You know, his guys would run through a wall for him. You know that. And certain coaches have that ability. Well, if they're going to play full speed, you're better to have three to four defenses and you play full speed than 10 or 12 and you play in high speed because you're worried about doing something wrong, going in the right direction, you know. Now, some teams you can open up with. Some teams have just got those three or four guys that can get the messages across, and you can go a little further. But uh, to me, fundamentals, fundamentals of the game. And, and you got to understand the game. Now, this, this RPO game we got today, we saw it every day in Canada, okay? And all these NFL guys coming in our league, offensive coordinators, well, you got to go against these guys. But there, there's a process there, and mentally, if, what are they trying to do? Uh, most of the time, and people don't even think about this, where that running back winds up before the snap is critical to most everything. Okay, all right. So when when you're sitting there coaching your guys, you say, "Oh, we're gonna read this guy, this guy, this guy." We do a lot from the secondary and everything, reading the running back. Okay, because he's gonna tell you everything. Because stop and think about our PO game, run pass option. Well, who's the quarterback riding? The running back. Where's his eyes going? To the running back. Where's he throwing? To the running back. Hello. Okay. Now, is he reading the linebacker on this particular play? Is he reading the defensive end on this particular play? I mean, on every play now, they read the end. On the, they're sitting there even running a power. They're saying if he steps down, the quarterback's just going to keep it. Now, <laughs> there's a receiver out there on the number two guy in the flats. I mean, they're going to throw it or run it. That's it, easy. Okay? But now, 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 with that tackle blocking down, and I'm coaching them linebackers, my linebackers don't play two gaps. My, my linebackers got to play four gaps to play for me. Okay. So when I know he's facing that way, they got a little game running inside with that tackle and that linebacker too. When that tackle squeezes down to help on that power that he's given, coming down that line, the quarterback pulls it, and now he's got my linebacker in his face because we just switch gaps. Nope. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You, you see what I'm saying? Yep. So we have a lot of calls that does this type of stuff, right? I have a lot of calls in my system that takes care of this and still gets pressure to the quarterback. And knowing how the offensive line blocks, which I can sit here and draw up all their protections. And so I understand protections. There was some smoldering intensity there that for those that cannot see us, obviously, that the it made me feel like he was out coaching me because <laughs> yeah, it was just exactly. like, yeah, you thought this RPO would work. <laughs> I coached my linebacker to beat your quarterback. Well, that's, you know, kind of on the lines of what you were talking about, and, and now I'm kind of transitioning into Auburn this year. Uh, you, you, can, you sit there and you talk about scheme, how you can out-scheme people and how you can trick people. When you're looking at this Auburn team, and let's just say compared to Georgia or compared to Alabama, they are not. Auburn is not as big and as physical and as talented overall through the roster as a Georgia or an Alabama. I mean, that's just simple fact. They have out-recruited Auburn in the last few years. So Auburn is at a disadvantage with that. How, how much can you out-scheme a team when you are at a disadvantage on certain size talent levels? How much can you out-scheme somebody and still win – when you have that disadvantage on the just pure physical aspect of things. Well, you, to me, when you're in that film room, okay, if they're going to waste their players, I, let's just look at it this way. If the offensive line is all blocking to the left and they just take off and they're stepping left and they're trying to get the zone play to work, the backside guys, who's your read? And so I look at, okay, they might be good at seven athletes, but I'm going to zone block and I'm going to get all of them, their coaches teaching them what? Gap control, even mm -hmm. the linebacker. 
let them let let them get all those ten all Americans going and running in the gap. Just keep running to the bench out there. Let's work on this one guy. Right. I mean, you there, there's ways that you can have just two or three guys if you scheme it to give yourself an advantage. Right. What's trouble is when they quit trying to coach and they just turn those guys loose, <laughs> you know, and uh, and then they're out talenting you, like you said. But if they're going to sit there and be a disciplined football team and they, their coach told them to get that gap, Joe Johnson, in that gap, just run them on to the sideline. Just keep getting them off the field. Right. My point is, you know, and then work on one guy. So right. you try to find that one or two weaknesses and, and don't think you got to find 11 weaknesses. Just find the one or two and work on them. Stay on them. Try to win those battles, you know. But, yeah, that's where even film work so important. That's yeah. the thing, and we're getting film work here with Coach Lolly on the pro. I mean, I'm sitting. We, I'm smarter. I feel like I'm, I'm oh, smarter yeah. at this. You know, now the retention is going to be the biggest thing. Can I? And that's what you have to do as a coach. Can the players remember what I just told them? And then there are moments that they don't, and that's got to be super frustrating. Correct. But, you know, I reckon that's the reason I like the man, the man so much. So if I could find a guy to beat your guy, then it's pretty simple. I said, you got him, you got him, and you got him. Yeah. You know? no. uh, that, that's when it's fun, when you can do that and then just send as many guys you want to, you know, because uh, you got those guys now. Let me give you one that the fans always hit us with. Mm-hmm. Um uh, everyone always wonders why DBs can't turn around. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, I get that. I used to get so, that when I coached them all. what would be your response to that? Okay, it is so complicated. You know, you're sitting there, and it is a hand-to-hand battle, right? It's a hand-to-hand battle up there. You're on there. The receiver's trying to get loose from you with that, the least amount of contact as possible, but still get into his route progression. So you're up there jamming and all this, right? Boom, boom, boom. But let's just say you're running down the field. Right. How many times during the game now do you hear them say, oh, that was the back shoulder throw? Yep. Okay. Often. oh Now, if I'm sitting behind and I'm looking back at the quarterback, what's happening to that receiver? He's leaving me. He's running. I'm looking back. He's running. Okay. So my main thing is I'm usually in a trail position, correct? All right. Yep. And it's pretty simple at that time. All right, I'm in a trail position, and I got, and I got to get in there in what I call, are you dominant or is he dominant? Dominant meaning, can I reach and touch him? Can I lean and get him cut off on the go ball? Because that's the one he's going to hit his head on the goal line with. Okay, so I got to make sure I, I'm guarding the go ball. Start with. Well, if I turn and look back again, he's leaving me. Plus, when I look back, I lose my center of gravity. He reaches with that one hand, and they will never call it. And he touches you as a DB. When you look, he touches you. Boom. It, it, and it kills your speed. It kills everything, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's just like boxing you out, and he's making the play. Now everybody's, you know, like, oh, don't look back. You know, as coaches, don't look back. So I just tell mine when you're dominant on him and you can lean and look fine. If not, we're going to play through him because they're going to throw the back shoulder ball. Where are they throwing the back shoulder ball? What part of the field and how many yards deep is it? Okay. Now, when a guy walks up there and, and, and stutters at you at five to six yards, it's stutter and go. But when that guy goes from 12 to 18 and stutters, it's back shoulder throw. You you feel me? On the outside release. So I constantly, like, try to go over to guys and they're like, well, how do you guard it? I said, well, if you get the lead and want to look back like they're telling you, you won't. Okay? So we got to be able to play through that guy, okay? And we got to be able to read his intentions, but we got to be, what, dominant on this guy. And you can't be scared to make that play through the what? Basket. Because if I turn around, he's going to push and catch, and it's over. And that's happened to us many times. They ain't going to call it. 
Yeah. And people's hollering, why don't they look for the ball? Because they just completed another touchdown. That's right. <laughs> you know, they touch it. So, so you know, but I, I, I get the fans' frustration on it now. But I've had some players that were so good at certain things, I had to coach them different than the other guys that wasn't as good. And I'd look and I'd say, now, you a yard or two for them. You've got, you've got something nobody else got, and it's called a fifth and sixth gear, okay? <laughs> you look early, and you're going to probably get one or two more picks this game. You look early. Okay, well, you got enough sense to know when he's a yard or two in the league if your fifth gear can't catch him now, okay? Because we can't let him hit his head on the goalpost, you know. So, but but that's controversy everywhere you go. What sure. to look, when to look, you know. Yeah. I've had coaches come over me and say, I don't care. I want them looking for the ball because the fans are booing us. And I'm like, oh, they're really going to boo us when they catch you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you turn your head and well, the guy yeah, runs away from the yeah. cornerback, it's like, well, yeah. well. <laughs> You know, it's fun to connect the dots here because we're talking about defensive backs and we've been talking about your career and coaching the defensive back groups in 2010 when Auburn wins a national championship and you buy, you had somebody at defensive back on that team and Zach Etheridge, Correct. who's now in your position. as the It just came full circle. Mm-hmm. Coach Lolly, I mean, Zach Etheridge, now the defensive back coach. Correct. For the Auburn Tigers, pretty cool to see how all that came full circle and played out that way. Oh, it is. From the days we was recruiting him in high school, and now I never forget the day he come up to our camp, and I really liked him, and I remember talking to his dad. I remember, I remember everything, you know, with that. And and Zach got hurt, you know. And I brought him in here. We bring a lot of guys in here. We used to try to sign as many corners as we could, and once we found our two to three corners that was quick enough, this, that, and other, cut people off. Then guys that started gaining a little weight, we said, hey, we're going to recruit them as corners and we can always move to safeties. Now we got an athletic safety that can do things. And Zach was one of those guys because he could play corner too. Right? right. And so he was one of those guys. When you get your one or two of those back here, then you, now you're cooking, right? And I, cause I had a little guy out there that year. And it's so funny, he led the team in tackles, if you'll look. And we're talking about total tackles. Okay, because the single guy that year was our middle linebacker. Uh, from Miami, still playing in the league. Josh Bynes. Josh Bynes. Bynes I think John's – John, he he led us by one or two tackles for single tackles that year. But the total tackles was DeMond Washington <laughs> because everybody cracks, cracks, cracks. They said, spill it to who? Spill it – no, the next night, spill it to who? Well, the last guy out there outside the corner. So I said, you can't just be garden guys. We're football players. And that's why I said, who led the team in tackles? It was him. Guess who was next? The other corner. <laughs> okay, but they they're going to crack him. They especially going to him because he's small, right? Mm-hmm. So then we had these big safeties that you know was able to help us out on certain calls, like you know Zach Etheridge and them guys. You know, so it was my honor coaching. Yeah, you've got a great memory because I went, I mean the 2010 national championship defense for Auburn football. Josh Bynes had 73 total tackles, mm-hmm. most on the team. Zach Etheridge had 69 total tackles, mm-hmm. right behind him. But strictly solo tackles, Damon Washington, 47, and Nico Thorpe had 45 that year for oh, Robert. Nico, so people call them cover corners. See, that used to be my big thing. I'd say there's no such thing. You cover when it's time to cover. You're a football player. <laughs> I said, you watch. I said, we'll have to lead the team in tackles if we work through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I used to tell them every day at practice. We're going to have to lead the team in tackles to beat winning, you know. And you did that. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. What else do you remember about that 2010 season? Resilient. I, I knew in the third or fourth game we had a chance. I, I sat there. When I saw Cam against LSU, I said, guys, our defense knows we got that guy. 
I said, talent-wise this year, we're probably not as good talent-wise as we've been. You know? right. But they know they got that guy. He's an eraser. He can erase mistakes. Okay? He can erase this. And I knew then, I said, we, we can play good enough over here. We, we'll get after you. you know, we're going to coach the heck out of them. But when I looked over at that guy, I said, this is what you got to have. You got to have a quarterback like that. Yeah. You know, and then you got to have a defense that's just gritty. So the one game against Oregon, you know, that he was not his self. Sure. That, we took the game over against one of the best offenses. I mean, but that they had the confidence through the year, you know. They didn't know that Cam couldn't, you know, he was he was hurt. The right. don't know that. But our guys didn't know. <laughs> well, and that, and that defense, you had a guy by the name of Nick Fairley. Oh, yeah. And I guess he's, that uh, – kind of an equalizer there. <laughs> yeah. He can do a lot of things. Nick was one of those guys. That wasn't good job, you know. You said to her, that wasn't what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take the – but I, he took both of them. He took the quarterback and the yeah. uh, Good job, you know. But uh, he, he was that eraser. It, there were so many big plays from Cam in that LSU game, but, I mean, really it starts sooner than that. I mean, mm-hmm. the first SEC game mm-hmm. is South Carolina at home. Mm-hmm. We've seen this trend where when Auburn goes and plays really well and plays for an SEC championship, it always seems like that season you played that same team earlier in the regular season, right? You don't play South Carolina every year, but we had played South Carolina and then play them again later in the SEC championship game. But the Superman dive into oh, the gosh, end zone yes. that Cam had yeah. where – was like, all right, this guy is uh, pretty special. He's different. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be crazy just a bit watch Because it's one thing to see it in practice. Mm-hmm. But then in those big games, as a coach, when you see big plays like that happen, it's like, man, we're glad two's on our side. Exactly. That's when I kind of knew. I mean, at that point, I'm like, okay, the other games weren't luck. I mean, this, yeah. this, <laughs> this is real. Arkansas, Arkansas State, the, the opener against Arkansas State, and he had the, the play. I mean, it ended up being like a 13-yard gain, but – I think he made everybody on the defense miss at the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah. He, he was special. I mean, yeah. you know, and I just can't believe he came to our camp several times before that. And we, we didn't know he was that good. Really. Right. So. Well, is it is it tough to, or I guess, again, as a coach, because this is something we were talking about last week leading up to Auburn's first game with T.J. Finley versus Robbie Ashford, and we mentioned earlier just in this show how you don't tackle the quarterback. So that also means the quarterback's not live. Is it hard to evaluate the guys properly that can run because some of what they do, you can't really, when, when they're not live, I guess, you can't really tell how many truly missed tackles they would have caused since you kind of get near them, you kind of blow it dead and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Is there a way around trying to evaluate that? Do you put some stock into knowing that, okay, he's, he could have gotten out of that tackle? Yeah, you know – once you got that guy, you know he's your guy and he's special. I can see that. But, you know, we talked earlier about nobody hits the quarterbacks. This time. I'm a little bit different. If my quarterbacks are not – I'm not sure who's going to start. I'm going to make them laugh two or three times. I'm just telling you I am because I want to see what the guy can do in practice when the defense is after his tail because I don't know how he's going to react either. You know, <laughs> he might be good out there on air. Well, he knows back, he's not getting hit, exactly. so he doesn't care that this exactly. big boy's coming towards him. I know people say, well, Coach, you can't do that. Why can't I? Why can't I? I mean, Coach Bryant used to do it. Coach Dye used to do it. I mean, no. I mean, I got to find out if he's a gamer or not. Uh, how am I going to find out? I've got to put him live. So, myself, and I know the quarterbacks out there right now, listen, this is going to hate me, but that's fine. They didn't, <laughs> have, they didn't have to come to Auburn, right? But 
if I don't know who that guy is, I'm going to find out. Plus, it's going to help my defense to know a little bit too. And then, then once we find out, we're not going to be stupid about right. getting hurt if we can help it. You know, but there's always a chance you're going to get hurt when you walk out. You can trip over a helmet and get hurt. But, I mean, you know, you got to build your football team too, you know. So, But it's hard. That's what, yeah. You're going to get criticized and whatever you do. So. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, exactly. yeah. We've been able to talk to so many players from that 2010 National Championship just about how close the team was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very close team, always wanting to spend time together uh, and that sort of thing. And that obviously pays off on Saturday. When you truly love your brother and the man next to you, you're going to want to push that extra mile and that sort of thing. Talk to me about the coaching staff from 2010. I mean, it's Gene Chizik being the head coach, Malzahn is the offensive coordinator, Trooper Taylor, a man that so many people here in Auburn absolutely love and adore. You're coaching the D-backs at that point. How close was that coaching staff? Well, we were close. I mean, we were close. And, uh, of course, I was with Chiswick when he was here before with Tuberville. Right. And, uh, and he kept me, and I was the one, you know, when he come in out of all the coaches, you know. And so we knew each other real well. Families knew each other real well. Then, of course, we adapted to the other guys that come in. Uh, Tommy Thigpen was hired as Mac Brown recommended him to coach, you know, Chiswick because Mac had coached him before in North Carolina. So when Tommy was looking for a guy to help me back there and coach the safeties, you know, Thigpen was the guy he hired. And there were some interesting names in that group now, and I won't even go there because, but there was a lot of people to choose from, a lot of people that wanted to come in here with that job. And then, of course, Tracy Rock, everybody knew what Tracy meant to right. Auburn. He was coaching the front. So we were all real close. I mean, we we sat there. We had some great stories, some great Pat Dye stories, with, of course, with Tracy and all them. And, and Coach Dye loved to watch us get physical out there. You know, he, he wanted to see a physical football. So when he'd come to practice, he was very – he was out there. I mean, he was out there that year a lot with us. And, uh, you know, we, we were physical and he liked it, you know. Um, so, I mean, we had a, a close staff, you know. Uh, the offense, everybody got along over there. It seemed like, you know, it was just – it was a good group all the way around. Could you tell Gus Malzahn would be a head coach one day? Was that something that you, you could know, see coming? You know, at that time, I never even really thought of it. I yeah. just knew that when he was at Arkansas, him getting hired at Arkansas and, you know, then leaving there and going what to uh, – oh, Lord, help me. Where, Tulsa, he to, had yeah, a Tulsa, stop there. Tulsa. Yeah. And then I watched the stats that year that offense, like I always do. I like to kind of look. And then you always ask yourself, well, now some of these guys that's got great stats – uh, folks didn't mention that they were getting beat 30 to nothing, and then all of a sudden <laughs> the, the second, third defense is in there, and they, they pile up 300 yards at the end of the game. So I tried to look at him realistically and say, this guy's doing – I mean, he's doing some stuff now. He's got some folks on their heels. He, you know, and uh, he had a system with it. And, right. But see, so many guys can fool you. I know every year I used to, I used to look, and the team that'd be last place in our conference, they, they, they'd have the stats in another way. They'd say, okay, they're uh, – you know, uh, against the rush, they're this, that, and other. I'm like, well, heck, they're getting beat 40 to nothing every game at that time. And I reckon this stat should look good, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but they wasn't in them fights and them dog fights. And, you know, right. I mean, uh, you know, so stats can be misleading, but Gus was the real deal. And I think we all knew that. So. Well, I'm going to let you brag on yourself a little bit. So, you know, you came here in 99. Once Tuberville leaves, new staff comes in. You're one of the guys that they keep on staff, and then that staff leaves, new staff comes in. You're one of the guys that they that stays on. Uh, what is it about 
Philip Lolly that these coaching staffs love to keep on here at Auburn University. Uh, you went through three different head coaches and they kept you here. It's a great point, Tom. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was always kind of hoping it's because they saw not what maybe the fans saw this, I know, but they was there every day and seeing the work effort. I, I, I hope they saw that. Right. And see, that was the thing about it with Tommy being here. I knew Tommy from the Miami days, like I said, and he, he knew my work ethic. He knew he visited. We, we talked ball all the time. And then when Tommy was not – then Gene, I coached with Gene. Right. Defense. And I think he knew – I always said when a coach's job is on the line, he's going to get who he feels is going to be best to protect his job. Right. You know, you can throw liking or whatever out the window, you know. I mean, it's going to be a respect thing at that point. It's like, okay, we need this guy. And then Gus was the same way with me. And I've just uh, – I've been fortunate. I've been blessed. I told somebody, I said, you know, I, oh, I never want to go anywhere, though, else. I never looked for another job. And, yeah, people got in touch. Sure they did. Right. But I loved Auburn. I loved the state of Alabama. I wanted to retire in the state of Alabama. I didn't want to go nowhere else. And I was just lucky that the guys kept me, you yeah. know, and, and allowed me to, you know, retire at Auburn University. So. We got Coach Philip Lolly here with us in the studio. And we got some phone calls, 334-887-3401. Or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger nine if you would like to call in and be a part of the program and say hello to Coach while he's in the studio. Let's get our first call in here and joining us on the program we've got War Damn Steve. All right, retired War Damn Steve has called into the show from down in Fairhope. Hello, Steve. Good afternoon and War Damn Eagle, Coach uh, Philip Lolly. War Eagle. Uh, so uh, I just caught a little bit of your your comments uh, and I wanted to find out what are you up to now. Well, I'd been in the CFL and uh, defensive coordinator up there with two or three different teams, and uh, and uh, they just the, the COVID shot. To be honest with you, they, they I just would not take the COVID shot. So therefore, I I took a year off. So basically, I'm still here watching Auburn play now. So spending some time around Auburn. Yeah. Have you been able to attend any of the, the practices? No, I, I went uh, like like. J.J. mentioned earlier, Zach, you know, had played when I was here, and Zach asked me to speak to his guys uh, at one of the practices, and I went out there at the end, watched, and I spoke to his defensive backs, this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, and I, I want to win every ball game here and everything, but I reckon I, I miss it so much. I get down there and I get all <laughs> – it's hard for me to be quiet. You know, I want to I want to go out there with them. And uh, so I, I kind of – Try to stay away, you know, because I get to really feeling it, you know, miss it. Well, Coach, um, I want to, uh, you know, really uh, get get your uh, knowledge based on this. Uh, and I know we only have a small sample of one game, but uh, give me your give us share with us your thoughts if you could about uh, what you see in this team, how you see this team, and how do you see uh, them going forward in the remaining uh, part of the season, the games that are left. Well, you know, I'm I'm Auburn through and through, so I hope they win every one of them, you know. And uh, I really, you know, I, at first of the year, I'm going to be honest with you, I said we can win eight. That was just my honest opinion, not to pick who, you know, I just, I, I look at the schedule, I look at everything, and I think we can win eight ball games plus. Of course, I hope we win them all, but I think we can win eight. And, uh but I, like I said, there's some really good things. We were talking earlier here in the studio. The running backs, to me, I mean, I, I don't see any any running backs in the league that can break as many tackles as them two guys can. And they, to me, you start there. Uh, 
I saw a lot of different things the other day. There was packages of plays. There was actually this come off of this, this come off of that. And I'm like, okay, you can't just sit on them when they get in this formation and you look at that. So they have the ability or the diversity, you know, offensively to be good, you know. And defensively, I don't know. And there was a guy that played for me in the Canadian League, and he was real high on this guy, said that we coached a lot alike as a new defensive coordinator. Smelly, there's a guy that coaches with him, uh, you know, that uh, played for me in the Canadian League, you know. So he, he's helping with the linebackers. So, you know, uh, I trust what I know we did together. His name is J.C. Charette. And he played middle linebacker for me, and we won, a, we won the Canadian championship that year. Okay? So he's helping here. And I trust him because he was a very knowledgeable player. He was the guy that made all my calls during the game. Okay? So J.C. is coaching, and he's, he kept saying, Coach, I want you to meet this guy. I want you to meet this guy. He was my coach in college, uh, you know, a long time ago, of course, about four, five, six years ago or longer. And so I trust J.C.'s opinion on things. And J.C. says, Coach, we're going to – we're going to be okay on defense. So he's a big fan of Jeff Schmetting, the new defensive coordinator. Correct. All right, Correct. awesome. Yeah, so Well, JC, I'm glad to hear that. Yep. So I, I feel good about that. I know that uh, from the way I talk, J.C. and everything, I know a lot of those things because I heard him speak one evening, the coordinator, and he's doing things a lot like we did up there for far as fitting the run and things like that. Tackling, he agrees with the same type stuff. And I think it's just a first-year guy that he's got the defense coordinator. I believe this is Correct, it. yep. And so everybody was worried about, oh, you know, this is first year coming in this conference and everything. But hearing J.C. talk about this guy in a positive way while I coached him, I feel really good about that. So, yeah. What are your thoughts about Mr. Cam Riley? It's our freshman line – or not – junior linebacker that's just stepping up. He had 15 tackles this past weekend. Auburn loves their linebackers, and it's always oh, the next man stepping up. Oh, exactly. And J.C., I, I could just see that. I, I saw the guy play the other day, this I know, but to, to say I've watched him on film, studied every little thing. And, of course, as a coach, I, we, we always look at the positive. That, that's positive, all those tackles. But, you know, I'd like to hear J.C. and him say, all right, what did he do wrong? Because <laughs> we always find wrong with everything, right, as coaches. But that, that's good coaching when you can correct those things. But the guy's got a lot of ability. So I'm as anxious as watching the rest of the yeah, year. Yeah, like exactly. How do you else. follow up a big performance like exactly. that? That's going to be fun to see. Coach, uh, this is a special teams question. There was a penalty called, and we have hardly any penalties called. I was pleased to see that uh, on the team Saturday. But there was a special teams penalty called on uh, on our defense in which we went after the, the punter. It was a snap that went over his head, um, talking about the opponent. Uh, Mercer, and they went after him. And when they did, they uh, obviously, you know, he went ahead and uh, again went ahead to his, uh, to his credit, he went ahead and punted it. But we were called for uh, running into the kicker. And I was wondering, is that was that a legitimate call, or should that have been not been called? Because you know, I thought he was a live a player at that point. So, See, so to that me, would be like my thinking fumble. also. And. I'm you glad know. you brought that question up, Steve, because we yeah. hadn't mentioned it at all this week. That yeah. was such a, a yeah. interesting play in that game on because Saturday. Because to me, he becomes a threat at that time. He is now a runner. Right. Okay. Right. Ball snapped live. 20 yards over Correct. his head, and he's got to run back and chase it down. Correct. Now, like targeting, if he just hit him blatantly late, you know, that's one thing, you know. But to me, he's free. I mean, he, he's, you know, a ball carrier at that time. That's what we used to tell him. You know, about the quarterbacks, you had the strike zone. You can't hit them high. You can't hit them low. But once he leaves that pocket, okay, and he becomes a runner, 
you know, you can go get it. It's a free definitely. game. Yeah. It was an impressive play for the yeah. Mercer punter to still be able to kick the ball oh, yeah. back in which yeah. he did. But it was really frustrating mm-hmm. to have that penalty called against yeah. Auburn. And I think Carson immediately went to the officials like you're saying because exactly. I think he was trying to say – He's live. He's a player. He's running after the ball, and yet they still called running into the kicker. I would like to know the, the referee's uh, explanation right. of that. Is what I, I would, like too. To yeah. yeah, I was just taken aback in that. That really changed the uh, the, 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 you know, the momentum uh, for our team because that would have been our ball, uh, and you know, but then it ended up giving the ball back. So, anyway, uh, enough of my complaining. Uh, we definitely got to do better on turnovers. Uh, each game as we go because the SEC is coming up. So, Coach, uh, thank you for being uh, the Auburn coach that you were uh, during your time with us. And uh, I only wish you the, the best uh, in your success uh, in your future. And thanks for uh, taking my phone calls, guys. Uh, until next time, Coach Ollie, I wish you again the very best. And War Eagle always. Thank you. War Eagle. War Eagle. That's our good buddy, retired Ward Amp Steve, joining us there on the program. Good to hear from him. You can call in and say hello. Few minutes left here with Coach Lolly in studio three three four eight eight seven thirty four zero one. Yeah, it's fun to kind of go back and think about those plays. And I totally had forgotten. I mean, it was at the end of the. It's a forty two to sixteen football game. I had forgotten about that play. That, that was Steve a was tricky play. To, it was yeah. so I'm weird. I'm glad it was done in was a blowout weird. so that right. we didn't have to really <laughs> yeah. care about <laughs> what yeah. about if that was the right call or not. Because I mean, by the letter of the law, like it was still the punter. I get it, but also, as you said, I mean, when you're 20 yards out of position <laughs> plus, your your instinct is not to, like, hold up and make sure. Your instinct is go get the ball, get the guy Correct. with the ball. Correct. You know, and I feel like you forfeit your right of protection. Like, to be fair, it was not his fault because it snapped over his head, but you kind of forfeit your right of protection if you're not anywhere Correct. near the position of, of why you get protected in the first place. I don't know. It was a weird play. I'm not, I'm, we're not mad over it. Just just a weird one, <laughs> a like different to, I one. I would like to hear the explanation of the official. I really would on that one. Interesting to see how it uh, all played out. Auburn winning 42-16. to They've got San Jose State coming up on Saturday, and then the big one, Penn State, is coming to Auburn next week. Mm-hmm. What should the mindset of this Auburn football team be going oh, into Saturday? Yeah. Well, Knowing you've got a big test next week, but you got what, what's the mindset going into Saturday? I think they were really ready to get the season going this last week. They wanted to go out and they did what they had to do. People say, oh, it's just Mercer. They're a football team. They put 11 players on that field, okay? And I've seen those kind of games before. But I thought we, you know, handled the, everything well. Now, I think they know now I I think they see Penn State, but I don't think they're going to look ahead. They know they're there, and they know what they got to do this week. So I think they're going to go up and try to sharpen everything up from the mistakes they made. They're going to try to sharpen everything up. I think they're going to really concentrate on San Diego State. They're not, they know Penn State's there, but it's not going to be one that I'm going to look ahead. Now, the one I worry about, I hope all everybody's listening now, is after the Penn State game because I think we're a lot better than them, but to me that's a trap game. Yeah. Missouri, correct. Right before LSU, correct. yeah, correct. Yeah, and uh, but I think that Penn State coming here, we're going to be on fire. I think we'll be two and zero. They're coming here. Okay, and it's a little different coming here to play. Yeah. Okay, and I just I, I feel good about it. I mean, I do. So I think we'll take care of business this week, and then it's on to Penn State. Yeah. Five straight home games to open up the year. For, that's a lot of time at home to open up the year. It's a good thing, too, that we got them the way we got them. And then after the first five games, then we go to Georgia, right? Right. So, you know, uh, going on the road there, uh, you know, I just hope we got that momentum. And, we, you know, 
Yeah, five and zero is the place you want to be exactly. when you're heading to Athens because man, Georgia no. looked good again this past weekend. Exactly. Well, you're talking about you know the Penn State and you know being here at home. It's got to be pretty easy to uh, recruit a kid to come to Auburn when you've got that type of fan support, oh, the yeah. Tiger Walk, just all the stuff. I mean, it's kind of a pretty special place. Well, people try to copy us. I've just never seen nobody be able to do the job that we do. <laughs> and this week, uh, in fact, I had to do a, a tribute uh, to one special person here uh, at Auburn with Sue Lockler for years. You know, when right. Coach Dye hired her and – they're going to have all the Tigerettes and all back for a banquet and a different deal. They's, all of them is coming back out of her. So there's going to be a lot of excitement in the air, I think. Right. Uh, that starts around 11 and ends around 3.30. So that's good four hours or so, you yeah. know, with, with a good group. And they were great for Auburn. I, I, you know, when I was here, I mean, we couldn't have did everything without those folks. I mean, the Tigerettes and the Tiger host, what they did in recruiting, giving up their time for Auburn, was just unbelievable. I mean, they went beyond the call of duty. You know. Coach Philip Lawley's been hanging out with us here on the program today. Coach, this has been so much fun. We're going to have to do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. As you said, uh, kind of a, a year off for you, but you still got an itch to get back out there and coach at some point? Oh, yeah. I feel good. Uh, I say I'm 68 years young, and I, I'm just <laughs> glad folks still want me at my age. But I still – I'm one of those. I coach with energy. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I, I just love the game. Tell us about your family. Is it giving you a little bit more family time, Coach, now well, that you uh, are, are not having to worry about a football schedule? Yes, but then I got granddaughters that are in school, and they got <laughs> things going. I got my, my youngest one, she's a cheerleader for Hoover. Or, excuse me, my oldest one, uh, she's an eighth-grade cheerleader. Then I got the other ones in track and all this stuff. They play basketball, so keeps you busy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Coach, thank you so much again for spending some time with us here on the program today. This was a lot of fun. Well, thank you, JJ. Appreciate that, it. That's uh, Coach Philip Lawley joining us here on the program, and we have reached the end of the second hour of Sports Call. A whole lot of fun. One hour left to go. We'll be back in just a little bit alongside Tom Peavy and Ryan LaVoy. I'm JJ Jackson. Two hours in the books, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started.
third and final hour of Sports Call today, getting started on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy and Ryan Lavoie. It's been a fun show so far. We've been able to accomplish a lot, and we've got one hour left to go on this Wednesday. Coming up after this hour of the program, we've got the High School Coaches Show coming up here on WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM. We'll have Bill Bailey, Walter Northcutt, Brant Daughtry live from Wild Wing Cafe chopping it up with the high school football coaches as they get set for another week of action. And you can listen to Beauregard and Smith Station football right here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on FM Talk 93.9. As the third hour of our show gets going, let's give you our daily show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? All right, our Daily Show Recap. What's happened today, Tom? Uh, well, the biggest thing is we've had a, a former Auburn assistant coach, Philip Lolly, on with us uh, all the way up from the beginning of the show until just a little bit ago. And uh, talking a lot of, uh, of his career here at Auburn and, and just kind of Auburn in general, talking football in general. Uh, that's really what it's been. The whole show has been us sitting down with Philip Lolly and uh, having just an incredible conversation with him. Uh, such a great guy. So uh, uh, you know, generous with his time to come in and sit in the studio with us and, and just talk shop uh, yeah. you know, when it comes to football. I mean, we, we barely even talked – about this year's team we we talked a little bit about it but uh mostly just about some of those past auburn teams that he was a part of because he was a part of uh all the recent success uh since 1999 when he came here and so the sec title team and and our sec west team in in 2000 and the undefeated team in 2004 national championship in 2010 part of the part of the team in 2013 we talked about him getting on the field and you know kind of being there with Chris Davis at the end of the kick six so a lot of stuff with that uh one thing that we did mention very briefly at the very very beginning of the show were the Atlanta Braves and how they had uh tied the the Mets in in the division and Ryan made it a point that the Mets won today said it was a half game and at that time the Braves were losing but now the Braves are up seven to two so it looks like it may still be even and then the Mets play a doubleheader. However, header. I have more because it can't be even after today because the Mets play again. Doubleheader. Oh, so, so if the Mets win again leave. and they have two wins today, they would still be a half game yeah. ahead. But if the Mets lost, Tom, in the second game, then Braves tomorrow lead. when we open up the show, we'll be saying the Braves lead by half game. By half game. Yep. So um, a doubleheader for the Mets yeah, today. They were, they were supposed to play the Pirates on Monday night. That game got rained uh, out. I got you. Both teams do not play tomorrow. So the way that the standings end tonight will rain until the game's Friday when the Metropolitans go to Miami and the Braves go to Seattle, which is going to be a really interesting series, by the way. The Mariners are hot right now. Right. They are neck and neck with the Rays for the top wild card spot in the American League. Both those teams, by the way, would be winning the AL Central. AL Central's not as good, so uh, they'd be worthy of uh, of leading that division. And so uh, this Mariners team, they're, they're about to make the playoffs, it looks like, for the first time in a long time. So that's yeah. going to be a really cool environment. Uh, up in Seattle, and it'll be. Uh, we talked to Ben Ingram the other, other day. Probably the toughest series the Braves will play until that Mets series right. at the end of the, the regular season, essentially in Truist Park. So this it'll be a very fair test for Atlanta this weekend. 
It's going to be fun to watch. Again, uh, as we talked to Ben Ingram yesterday on the show, Atlanta hasn't been to Seattle since 2014. A long time yeah. wow. since I, the Braves One of the there. last times, I don't know if it's the last time, but one of the last times the Braves played them, uh, Brooks and I uh, went to that game. Robinson Cano was still a Mariner then, and uh, it was like 2017-ish, 2016-ish, um, maybe 2018, 20, somewhere in there. And uh, – we went to that game, and the Mariners won that game. Cano had a couple hits, and I was like, oh, that was cool, but I'd rather the Braves won one. So. One of the last times they played it, true, in Atlanta, you're saying. You and Brooks were there. Yeah. Yes. I said one of the last times they played, yes. period. Yes, I mean, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. At first, my head was like you were saying that one of the last times we played in Seattle – that you and Brooks. Yeah, no, I decidedly did not go to Seattle with yeah. Brooks. I have not. Been, <laughs> I have not that that would be a bad time, but I've right. not been west of You've College Station, <laughs> Texas. So therefore, Bro- yeah. that disqualifies me from ever visiting the state of Washington. Brooks was with you in College Station, <laughs> right? Though. He was. Brooks has been with me there, and he's been with me to Atlanta for Braves Mayors game. Been with me to Atlanta for uh, Warriors Hawks. Brooks and I travel for the SEC sports. media yeah. days. Yep, you and Brooks that's another were in reason I've been in together. Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, haven't been to any uh, Falcons games with him there. <laughs> yeah. um, but you uh, and Brooks yeah. travel a good bit. Yeah, yeah. Do you and I travel a good From bit? From time to time. Okay, a little yeah. bit. Well, maybe we've Tom's been, been to Atlanta. Maybe we've with been to Bank of America days. Stadium <laughs> yes, together. Yes, we have. Okay. Yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. Shout out. Uh, we'll all be in Nashville next summer. We'll all be in Nashville next summer. Yes. Maybe we'll go to Nissan. Oh, we've already been to Nissan <laughs> Stadium, Auburn, Purdue. That's so. right. That's right. Um. Yeah, and the NFL season starts tomorrow with Rams and Bills. The National Football League. Are you? Do you want to talk about this for a minute? Is this like? Yeah, a, feel free. We're about to day? open up a Hump Day update in just a okay. second. Uh, I was just going to say, who's your favorite? I mean, this is Tom's last time on the show before kickoff, and this is a Super Bowl favorite yeah. before the season yeah, starts. Because this is actually I, a fair I, question. I've read to a ask. lot of things that have, a lot of people love the Bills as clear. They favorites. really do. Yeah. So, are you on board with that? Or no. Do you have somebody else? No. Okay. See, I am. On, I'm on board with on them board and the AFC. I, okay. I think Josh Allen is incredible. Okay, JJ, what do you like? I like in the NFC. Oh, okay. I'm still I'm indecisive between three teams, and they're all in the NFC. And or they're all talking? in the NFC. Well, Rams, Packers, and Bucks is what I assume you're Correct. Be referring yeah. to. Uh, and then in the AFC, I'm not ready to give up on Kansas City yet. I don't think. I mean, I think they're going to be good. Yeah. I think Patrick I think Mahomes I, I think is not going to still pro Kansas City. Yeah. yeah, they've lost. KC's lost some of the pieces of their puzzle, though. They have. They have, but and and, and the Buffalo Bills have picked up some of those pieces of the puzzle. So. Been I've been been looking at this pretty closely. Kansas City has upgraded their offensive line. Big time. And they now figure to have one of the better offensive lines in football, which is was not true when they right. were going to the Super Bowl back to back years. Um and so I think that's a plus. And you know, I think that they're going to get back to doing more creative stuff where that's not just go back and throw it deep to Tyreek Hill. I right. think they actually allow themselves to be potentially more creative. Um but I and I hate myself for this. This is just so stupid. I'm gonna regret this. I really like the Chargers. Really? I really like the Chargers. Um, again, they did a lot. I have said I like this Chargers. twelve times this year. Maximizing Justin Herbert being on a rookie contract and being able to pay other positions their their big money while Herbert's on a rookie deal 
is very smart. Smart. Yeah. Now, Herbert's not going to have had the big game experience that some of these guys that he's going to be going up against will have had because even someone like Cincinnati and Burrow, you got. I, I still, I still think the world of Cincinnati still. Um, but I think what they've been able to do, adding Khalil Mack, uh, an extra, I mean, just an awesome pass rusher beside an already awesome Nick Bosa. Um, Oh, no, Joey Bosa is in, in Los Angeles. Correct. Nick Bosa is in San Francisco. Um, to be able to add to that, and you have Darwin James, a great guy in the secondary. Uh, they added someone else in their secondary, too. J.C. Jackson J. C. from Jackson, New England. J.C. Jackson, who was New England's best corner. I just – I mean, they're going to they're, they're gonna be scary. Uh, like I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not sleeping on Buffalo. Buffalo's going to be great. No. Uh, I think that – can I – I think I think there's a four. I think there's a clear four. I think it's Buffalo, Cincinnati, the Chargers, and Kansas City. I think if you're going AFC divisional round, that's the four. And I I kinda asked a question that I wasn't prepared to make a <laughs> you stick to your guns answer for. I guess I'm gonna go a little hot take that I'm gonna go Chargers in the in the Super Bowl. I can get behind it. And I I don't know what to pick in the NFC. I think there's problems with Tampa, Green Bay, and L.A. And nobody is picking the Cincinnati Bengals, who were in the Super Bowl representing the right. NFC last year. Yeah. Uh, Super Bowl hangovers are tough. Well, I mean, I, in the NFC, I mean, I, you, you still you, you're foolish if you don't think the Rams are not going to be good and, and possibly repeating. Uh, I mean, they're it's hard to repeat though. It, it is very, no, it's very hard to repeat. Um, but they're still going to be good. They, oh, yeah, that's the yeah, thing. no, they're, I'm, they're going to make win the division, make yeah. playoffs, all those things. But just do they actually get all the way yeah. back? That's um, I, I see. I kind of, I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I'm kind of liking the Packers in the NFC. Um, I think their defense is. is I would probably pick be, Packers right now. Yeah. yeah. Are you well? Are you worried about Devontae Adams not being there? Could be, but I. I'm are you okay. worried the fact that Tom Brady has? won more Super Bowls um, or won as many Super Bowls as a member of the NFC than Aaron Rodgers. Correct. Yeah. yeah because that's so. the thing. That's my only is rebuttal. Rodgers popular is pick and it never happens. Rodgers, in theory, so should lead Green Bay. I'm going to continue to make Bay. that mistake. Ro- again, how I'm probably making a mistake with the Chargers. Green Bay should have been to like five or six Super Bowls. Yeah. They've been to one. <laughs> They've only been to one somehow. And yeah. Yes, they they do have a better defense than they did for a lot of those years. But now I would point to now this is one of the weaker skill position sets that they've had right. during all those years, and they still have the issue of at times their offensive their offensive line is average. At times it is good. At times Rodgers is injuring his calf, getting out of the pocket. So that's why I said I can I can rebuttal. If you had said Tampa Bay, I could have rebuttaled how Tampa's not going to go. If you had said you said the Rams, and I rebuttaled, but it's hard to do that. Yeah. So. You know, Peter King loves New Orleans. Thinks New Orleans is going to be the one seed wow. in the NFC. And I like I as I don't like New Orleans as a fan. As an analyst, I like New Orleans more than people think. I think New Orleans will challenge Tampa yeah. for the division win. I think New Orleans will at least make the playoffs. Um, but I don't like I I don't think people are talking a lot about it because the AFC has just got so many great storylines. But 
I think the NFC is truly up for grabs because all those three teams have had their turn in the sun here in the last couple of years, whether it be winning the regular season of the NFC like Green Bay has, winning a Super Bowl like Tampa Bay and Los Angeles has. But I think, again, I think they all have something going against them this year that doesn't make either of the three clear favorites, at least. A lot could happen. NFL season gets started tomorrow as uh, we'll have Rams and Bills being played. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll make our NFL picks coming up on tomorrow's program. Let's do a hump day update on this Wednesday. Time for your sports call hump day update on the Campbell Gamble's football team. That's just great stuff. It's time for our hump day update on the Campbell Camels. Fighting Camels. Fighting Camels. Fighting Camels. They fight. Football team. They fought and they won. They won last Thursday. 29 to 10. Beat the Citadel. 1-0 on so the year. Our Camels, our Fighting Camels are 1-0. Big time performance. The box score is eye-opening for this one. Uh, in particular, when you look at the numbers, you could start to figure out the Citadel and their offensive scheme and what they like to do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Ryan, tell me what, what happened for the Citadel offensively. Um, Tom, Tom, have you seen a box score? It'll be fun, more I, fun this way. So I, I'm, I'm looking don't, at don't, – Don't look at it if you haven't seen it yet. Don't look at it. Have you seen it? I, I'm looking at Campbell's okay. stuff, but I have not looked at Citadel. Get, just guess the – if I if okay, I'm going to say 53 plays for the Citadel. That's how many plays they ran. How, give me the pass to run there. 53 plays. Uh, putting you on the spot. I yeah. know it's difficult. If you, I wouldn't know. So no. yeah. uh, I'm going to so 53 plays. I'm yep. going to say 50 were runs. You were damn close. 48 runs, five passes. Yeah. Um, I some of those FCS teams do that. Like I know that before they got called to FBS, where they brought up you know Georgia Southern used to right. run a, a triple option of sorts, and uh, apparently Citadel does the same. They ran it 48 times, but not a lot of success overall. 48 carries, 187 yards. It's 3.9 a carry, but if that's all you do. That's not enough chunk plays there. Their passing was very destructive because what if I told you the guy uh, was Peyton Derrick. Three of five, 35 yards and a touchdown. However, what if I told you, even though he went three of five, none of his passes hit the ground? Which means both incompletions were interceptions. Interceptions. So uh, that did not go well. That is a bad purr. Bad purr right there. Bryant Barr. The Campbell running back, 19 carries, a buck seven touchdown. Someone sign him up. Big uh, win for Campbell. Yeah. Uh, Haj Malik Williams, the Campbell quarterback, 12 of 21, 175 yards and a touchdown and no interceptions. There you go, efficient. With a QB, QB rating of 109.2. There you go, efficient. So, uh, yeah, Haj Malik Williams, man. And uh, leading receiver, uh, Ezariah Anderson, four catches, 65 yards with a long of 23 and the touchdown catch. So, uh Good job, Ezariah Anderson, and good job to the Campbell Fighting Camels, 1-0 on the year with a 29-10 win over the Citadel Bulldogs. Head football coach Mike Minter, 1-0 to start the year. 
taking on William and Mary on the road. It's Fighting Camels versus the Tribe. Facing two people. Coming up on Saturday. <laughs> and taking a look at William and Mary. They got a win. They beat Charlotte to start the year. Who is allegedly an FBS program. <laughs> Not a good one. Hey, congrats, though. This is, guys, this is why in the office I just had a cow over who the AAC decided to bring in beside UAB and like UTSA. Charlotte is getting to go to the AAC just because of their market. Charlotte 49ers athletics is atrocious. But the AAC is making the mistake that you just cannot always do when you're in that small of football. They are bringing in Charlotte for market. I got breaking news for the American Athletic Conference. No one in Charlotte, North Carolina – could give a damn <laughs> about the Charlotte 49ers. I'm sorry. Like, we fight this problem even in this state. Even in this state, which does not have major professional sports, the city of Birmingham cares far more about the University of Alabama and about Auburn University than it does UAB, who is a very competent program in its own state, but just in lower-level football. In Charlotte, when you have – professional franchises i know charlotte's way bigger than birmingham but you have professional franchises in uh all the major sports ex essentially except for a uh, baseball like of, <laughs> of oh. course of course you're, you're not going to care as much about the small college just saying hmm. but but that means formidable tests yeah, for they, campbell they, William and mary got it done they got their first fbs win since 2009 and they're going to be the opponent for Campbell. I'm nervous now. Yep. I'm really it's nervous. Be tough about one. And then after that, Campbell. they're at East Carolina. This is a tough stretch. Yep. Toughest stretch I, of the season. No, no. I have seen William and Mary play football. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, October the 29th, 1988. Whoa. Whoa. Georgia 59, William and Mary 24. Well, I wasn't around to scored. see that one. Two people did a yeah. pretty good job <laughs> scoring there. Wasn't around for that one. There's your hump day update on the Campbell Camels. Got to get a win this weekend. On the road. On the road. Speaking of going on the road. Yeah, you got to get on the road, Tom. I've got to get on the road, go watch Sonny Deshara play baseball. Have he, some fun, man. He is designated hitter tonight for Ooh, the uh, there you go. Rocket Good, City Trash Pandas, so he's in the lineup. But you're wearing Biscuits gear. Well, I'm cheering on the Biscuits, but I'm also cheering on Sonny. There you go. So, yeah. Let's but take a break. Getting on the road. We'll uh, be back and we'll wrap up the show after this on Tiger 95.9 FM. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Moving forward on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, J.J. Jackson here inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy. We hope that everyone is doing well on this Wednesday. What a fun show it's been, and our thanks again to former Auburn assistant head co assistant coach Philip Lolly for joining us here on the program. We've got to do a couple of things here before we get out of the show for today, and that first thing due up, it's September 7th of 2022, and we've got to celebrate some birthdays in sports. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. All right, Birthdays in Sports here on September 7th. We've been running the past couple of days with six, seven, eight birthdays. Not as many birthdays today, but nonetheless, some notable ones. Mr. Lavoie. 
Kevin, there's a price to pay when you're late on love turns 34. <laughs> Current Cleveland That's Cavalier. Kevin love yeah. for folks. Cle- Current Cleveland Cavalier Power Forward, five-time NBA All-Star, 2016 NBA champion when he was on the team with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. Uh, and the Cavs, one-time gold medalist, 2012 London Summer Olympics for Team USA, 2012 NBA three-point contest champion. Started his NBA, NBA career for playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves from 2008-2014. Number five overall pick in the 2008 NBA draft. Played one season of college basketball at UCLA, where he was the 2008 Pac-10 Player of the Year. He took on – this is extra now. He took on that Chris Bosh role of you were an all-star at your other team, but we're going to blame you for everything when it goes <laughs> wrong with his new team, uh, but ultimately was an NBA champion. Now as a beloved six-man That's with right. on this next team. But Kevin Love. 34, 34 today. years old today. Would you have remembered that he was a three-point contest champion? No, but Me again, either. that was part of his lore because he averaged like 26 and 12 with the Timberwolves before he came over the Cavs, and a lot of it was because he could stretch the floor. He could do a little bit of everything. So uh, Kevin Love was a great player. Would have really put up big numbers if he had stayed, but of course gets a ring uh, with the Cavs. Antonio McDice turns 48, former NBA Power Forward from 1995 to 2011, was a one-time All-Star in 2001 for the Denver Nuggets, was also a one-time gold medalist at the 2000 Sydney Summer Olympics for Team USA, played for the Nuggets, Suns, Knicks, Pistons, and Spurs in his career, which averaged 12 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game across his 16-year NBA career, played two seasons, of college basketball for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Antonio McDice turns 48 Happy today. birthday. Donovan Mitchell turns 26. He's now Kevin Love's teammate <laughs> as he is a shooting guard birthday for the Cleveland brothers. Cavaliers. Three-time NBA All-Star, 2018 NBA Slam Dunk Champion. Started his career playing for the Utah Jazz. Traded last week on September the 1st to the Cavs for the or, or to the Cavs as he was the number 13 overall pick in the 2017 NBA Draft. Played two seasons of college basketball for the Louisville Cardinals. I did not know he would be this good of an offensive player. Uh, but Donovan Mitchell, an all-star, turns 26 today. Happy birthday. Sandy Alcantara turns 27, starting pitcher for the Miami Marlins. Two-time MLB all-star, played for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2017 season and joined the Marlins in 2018. Plays for the Dominican Republic in the World Baseball Classic, which will be happening pretty soon, I think, next spring. Fun fact, Alcantara is one of 11 children in his family, meaning he has 10 siblings. That's intense. It's a lot of siblings. And I bet you if you combine their talents on the mound, they still would not equal <laughs> Sandy Alcantara, who's inevitably going to be traded at one of these trade deadlines to the Yankees or Dodgers or right. Cardinals. <laughs> a two-time All-Star for the Marlins. We can't keep you forever. you got to yeah. go benefit somebody else. Sandy Alcantara turns 27. That's a good list of yeah. current birthdays there. Birthdays in sports here today, September 7th, 2022. Again, we've got Kevin Love, Antonio McDyess, Donovan Mitchell, and Sandy Alcantara all celebrating their birthdays today. I said that wrong? Alcantara. Alcantara, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I thought it was Alcantara, too, uh, for a long time, but I've been listening to some people talk about him recently. It's Alcantara. You listen to people talk and say things. and Say words. We say words for a living. All right, here we go. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. All right, it's our Nightly TV Guide brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Uh, So far, so good, I think. 
U.S. Open Tennis, 6 o'clock on ESPN. I say so far so good because last night we wanted to promote the Yankees and Twins game, and it got rained out, so you right. weren't able to watch it. Tonight, we're going to promote the game on FS1 at 7 o'clock. The Diamondbacks are at the San Diego Padres. I think that game should be able to be played. Despicable Me tonight at 6 on Nickelodeon. Captain America, the first Avenger at 6.30 on FX. And then Major League Baseball tonight. I said Diamondbacks and Padres. And Spider-Man No Way Home at 8 on Stars. There's a look at your nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Ryan Lavoy, what a fun show it was, man. Certainly appreciated spending time with you. Oh, absolutely. It was fun to have Coach Lolly on and fun to have another show. And, hey, next time I'll be on the show, we will have had an NFL football game. That'll be a lot of fun. Wow. Can't wait for that to happen. We have ended our program today. Ran out of time. Got some bills to pay to get you to the top of the hour and the coaches show. That's going to do it for our program here today. For Tom Peavy and Ryan Lavoy. And, again, thank you to Philip Lolly for joining us on the show my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day. <laughs>